Welcome to the Mike Hewitt Show, 10 years and growing. It's about family, business, work, and politics like you've never heard it before. Yep, it's true. There's more than just a touch of wry humor mixed in. And now your host, Mike Hewitt. Folks, my name is Mike Hewitt. Co-hosts Miles Bauer and Ludwig von Wiedemdorski. Ludwig, I got to start with you, man. I, I, I want to get your perspective as the younger person on the show. Um, I'm reading an article, top of our list today. This is from Yahoo.com. Um, not my favorite kind of reference site, but it was everywhere, so I feel safe using them as, as my reference. Their title, Russia Says Tank Promises Show Direct and Growing Western Involvement in Ukraine. And, and listen, i got to tell you, one of the few things that unite the, the far left and the far right, and I guess in this case I'm on the far right, although I'm, I might not normally be, but one of the things that's uniting both sides of the aisle largely uh, is a desire not to get ourselves engaged in this conflict. Ludwig, am I missing something here about what we seem to be doing? Well, I think it's like we've done in multiple cases, and even Russia's done, is, is a proxy war. I mean, if you look back at Afghanistan in the 80s, we armed, quote-unquote, the Taliban and bin Laden to fight the Russians. So it's not something new. And I, I find it surprising that the tanks is the thing that sent Russia over the top because we've been aiding and arming the Ukrainians through this whole thing. Now, from what I understand, though, adding the tanks to the Ukrainian arsenal evens the playing field, and that might be where this is setting Russia into a different tailspin. Well, it does, but listen, there's multiple, there's, and that's the problem, in my view. There are multiple countries involved in this conflict, um, and even Putin's regime is no longer referring to it as a special action. It's They're calling it war now as they approach their one-year anniversary. Um, the, the moment that Ukraine saw agreement to send them M1 tanks, Germany will capitulate. Uh, they'll be very well-armed well on the ground. Uh, the, the, the Ukrainians immediately said, yeah, by the way, we also need F-16 fighters. Uh, listen, this is growing. This is not Putin's 60-day police action. And I... <laughs> I sit back, and I know I've said this a lot, Lud, so you got to coach me a little bit here. Uh, but this, is a, this is a several hundred-year-old conflict between those two groups. And I'd be darned if I know why the United States feels we need to put treasury in life on that battle line. Well, tr- truly, am I missing it? No, but isn't the irony in, in all the wars that, or actions we've taken on since World War II, even with World War II, we didn't want to get into it. Because, again, it was a territorial war, as we saw it at first, with Hitler thinking the old Deutschland was being re- retaken. And most of the wars we've seen are over land since that period of time. Vietnam, Korea, uh, even the Desert Storm, Afghanistan. All these have been us being in police actions really since the beginning, outside of anything from what the War of 1812. Um, where we were attacked, but I, I'll stop you only only on one issue, and that's that with the the Desert Stormer, George Herbert Walker Bush's battle. In that instance, he believed that we were coming to the aid of an ally. 
I, I don't know that, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm clouding it, and I wasn't in favor of that. On the other hand, I could intellectually understand it. Um, I, did it work out well? Uh, probably not, but that's because he tried not to, not to go in there and be a, uh, a regime toppler, um, uh, you know, a military uh, government creator. I, listen, it gets very convoluted, but when I watch all of these different countries taking on active positions, and we're only talking about the Western side of this. There are former bloc countries of the Soviet Union that are every bit as engaged as we are, and they're every bit as justified in their their, their view of their action they justified. Uh, this, but it, one of the ironies, I guess I want to point out before we move too much further on, is that Putin has labeled this um, his battle against Nazism. And something you said in your in your comments, Ludwig, reminded me that he, while he says he's anti-fascist, he's taking exactly the argument to your point that Hitler did with trying to regain former ground and bring back Germans to Germany and the, the homeland, etc. The, the the two arguments between Putin and Hitler, at least in justifying aggression are nearly identical. Am I wrong? No, and that's exactly what I, what I was getting at, is that point there. Plus, you got to remember, and I think many people got to remember, is, listen, I am the young guy, I get it, I'm 41, but I grew up in the Cold War, <laughs> post-Cold War era. You know, you know how many people think that 41 is not a young guy, including me, by the way? Thanks. Just All my students. <laughs> I'm sorry. But Go ahead. I, I, I old, still have a view of Russia from a Cold War standpoint still, because it yep. didn't fall until I was 12, almost 12 years old. Putin's entire, the majority of his life was in the Cold War era. So for him, the disdain for America has been instilled in him since the day he was born. That didn't change when the Berlin Wall came down and the USSR fell. So for right. him, he's still in that fight. And, and it's more apparent when he hears Germany and the United States, because what he's hearing is the Western culture. Western Germany right. and the U.S. getting involved against the USSR. But listen, the folks in Russia, from what I understand, and, and, and let, me, let me be clear on this, everybody, that I don't know whether the stuff we're reading is true, but if I just follow the news reels and I hop from left to right, international news, I try to really do deep dives on some of these things. If I, if I can... <laughs> If reading that makes the position correct when I say that this isn't what the Russian people want, whether they certainly they have a sense of a loss of identity and pride when the Soviet Union fell, but I think they really want to be part of the European community. That's the sense that I get. So they're looking at him going, wait a minute, why are we fighting with these people again? It was actually getting good here. No, and I, um, I, do you think... I agree with you. I agree with you on that 100. percent That the people don't want it, but think right. about how many people wanted us to continue to fight in Afghanistan for 15 years. So if it's that same right. thought process, you know the Afghani's and the people in the Middle East would hear the Americans don't want this, but the American government right. or military complex wants it. Is it the military complex? I'm glad you brought that up. Is this inevitably all about money? Well, let's think about this. We're, we're, we're headed towards a deep recession. What would get us out of it? Uh, maybe. Maybe a conflict would. Uh, and by the way, somewhere in the show notes today is where the, the they're saying that the economy is getting stronger and it's 
gangbusters, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that's fascinating. Listen, I'm very concerned, and I don't want to overstate this. If the only thing we do is give them many, many, many billions more of dollars, that's a problem for us. And it's no different in this regard than giving folks money that we didn't have in the in the three big shots that were put out to to help our economy, which caused the inflation. I, I, I tell you that because we don't have billions to spend on M1 tanks or F-16s to gift anybody. No, it we, will it will further inflation. We left eighteen billion dollars worth of material, and these same things they're asking for a couple hundred miles away. We we left we left more that you're making reference to when when we so, so clumsily pulled pulled out of uh, the Afghan theater. We left more on the ground than most of the militaries of the world uh, have entirely. And you go, wow. We Where'd that money come from? Yeah, I mean, and my and my answer to that is, is that folks, when you hear six point two or whatever the latest number of inflation, that's absolute poppycock, because the true inflation numbers are north of twenty percent. They don't factor in what you're paying for eggs, for gasoline. Oh, Mike, the gasoline prices have fallen. Yeah, they're only a buck more than when that moron took office. Yeah, that's a lot of money to me. Well, the new one now uh, is orange juice. 90 right. here low. So, you know, listen, we got to head to a break here in a second. And let's think about what that is and move into the next topic here in just a few seconds here. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Mike Hewitt Show with Mike Hewitt, Miles Bauer, and Ludwig von Wiedendorski. And now your host, Mike Hewitt. Listen, here's something fun, Ludwig. You know when you were a little kid and you're riding down the sidewalk and you hold, you take your hands off the, off the handlebars of your bicycle and you're going, look, Mom, no, no hands. And that's how I feel when I'm out of the studio and you're the one driving. Going, oh. Look, Mom, no hands. But so, we're staying on path and we're not crashing. <laughs> Amen, brother. All right, listen, to your point at the very end of, of uh, before the break, you'd, let, let's move on to a different topic. And you're, are you a never-Trumper or an always-Trumper, Ludwig? I'm neither. I'm always about what's right. Okay. Uh, tell me this. So I'm, I'm reading an article. By the way, this is a coincidence. I don't think I've ever done Yahoo twice in the same show, but this is from news.yahoo.com. Trump seeks to shift his idling White House campaign back into gear. The reason that I chose this, folks, is that I happen to agree with Yahoo, at least with the point they're making, that Trump's, he announced his candidacy, and I don't want to say he went quiet, but he, he's, he's certainly not been in the limelight like he normally might have been as a candidate. Um, Ludwig, what do you, tell me something. Does he have a path to victory? If he really think he got cheated, why does he think he does? That'd be my question to him. But I, I honestly, I want to know who his strategist is right now because he's got somebody who's actually good. Because for him to have sit quiet the last, especially the last three weeks with this whole Biden documents thing, has right. been like probably the best move he's made ever as a politician. Like I'm going to let him get beat up and then I'm going to come back out. So to stay out of the arena 
at least for this period of time you think is good. Yeah, instead correct? of yeah, instead of bashing on him and being like, "Hey, look what he said about me." His normal tactics of attack, attack, attack. He went, "Let me just sit I, back, let them attack him, and then I can come in looking good." Yeah, now, and the part that they're not measuring in this Yahoo article, and by the way, folks, same as always, I found this variations of this uh, in several different places, and. Uh, but, but what they're not measuring, I'll give you an example. Michigan uh, has got its state convention coming up next month. And at that state convention, we'll be nominating, I'm sorry, electing party leadership for the state Republican Party here in Michigan. And the reason I bring that up is because the articles are all talking about Trump s- standing out for a while. But the reality of it is, is he just made a, a, a we've got an 11 candidate competition for the chair of the state Republican Party here in Michigan. And Trump waded into that and made a nomination, which surprised me because it didn't fit into what looked like him trying to stay out of the fray. Um, and I think maybe the fact that maybe he made a gamble that the media really wasn't paying much attention to that. It got written about inside the state for a day or so and then moved on. But it's a big deal. If you're a Democrat right now and you've locked control over the state of Michigan, and you watch the Republican Party go through go through the the uh, the steps it takes to rebuild itself, you think that this would be newsworthy that President Trump stepped back in on that regard? Am I over overstating the the importance of that, Lud? Yeah, I I didn't even know he endorsed somebody, and I'm I'm pretty informed. Yeah. I, I think within this article, it's it, part of his strategy is to go and try to fix some of the relationships that were destroyed throughout this primary with his endorsements, his funding, some of the things that may be where they say part of his base is pulled away. He's going to start trying to repair that. And I I don't know if in Michigan he feels that strong enough yet, but just to get a nominee out there and see what happens. But the Democrats think they had the state locked up. They won the House, the Senate, the governorship. I think they feel that we're now blue rather than purple. I, I I think you're right. Um, I, I I think that they believe that. And listen, I got to give them credit. Everyone knows I talk about this periodically, and I and I, I I hate to go back there again, but the Democratic Party, both states and federal or national, have done they they do a dynamite job at what I call the one percent game. Um, and so when we're on our side of the divide, we're looking at the monster size issues that are affecting the culture, and I think that's what we should be doing. But while we're doing that, they're off in all of these little pockets where I say that we've been tribalized. They're going to each of those little pockets thinking, I'm going to get you, and I won't offend you when I talk about this topic because you're not paying attention. I'll go to that group and talk to them about what drives them, and they they eke away 1%. Um, That's how they're doing it. But the other thing that they do is that they're equally masters at causing our side to get disgruntled and stand down. Um, I, and by the way, I remain very, very convinced that the same Democratic Party that invested millions upon millions in primaries across the purple states to help elect, uh, help nominate Republican candidates that they believe they had a the best chance of beating, I'm absolutely entirely convinced that they didn't do that and then just walk away that indeed they have infiltrated grassroots within the Republican Party structure 
Um, and I think that they're helping to keep the angst and anger stirred well, let's, within the Republican Party. Let's look at what you just said there. Go back to, they're pulling the 1%, which if you look at most elections, they're won by 1% to 3%. Yep. And then two, getting us angst and amongst ourselves. What happened after Tudor lost? Instant right. blame game of Tudor, you were the bad candidate. No, it was the party problem. It wasn't, hey, they went and they pulled away 2 or 3% and got that change. It was instant blame game. And I do think you're right in that, that when, when they are looking at the election, it's how do I win and what do right. I need to win versus standing on principles and morals maybe. Yeah, I, I didn't frame it that way, but I think you're accurate. I think that they, they're, they're not any more united than our side of the divide. But the one thing that they're, that they're very good at um, is getting out the vote. So if you say to the, to the Democratic Party, what is your function? They 100% across their ideological spectrum, they recognize that the purpose is to get out the vote. Whereas us on our side, the Republican side, we're locked in principle. Good things, by the way, so I'm not bashing us, but we're not focused on getting the vote out. Democrats know that some of these issues are divisionary. They divide people, and they seek to unite numbers. We don't necessarily seem to care about that part. So if you five people don't agree with this 10, you're gone. Forget the fact that we actually need 15. Yeah, and listen, I remember talking to a friend of mine who was considering running for county commissioner, and he was saying all these things. I said, buddy, if you're going to run, you can't say that. Well, I want, right. I want change. I said, you can't make change without winning. And if you say that thing, what you're saying right now, yeah, everybody, most people believe it, but they don't say it because it sounds bad or it's intimidating or whatever it being. You have to get right. in before you can make change happen. Now, your point about right. the Democrats, I have a good friend who owns a business. He owns ARs and AKs or has an arsenal, everything. And you would think he's a Republican through and through. He's a Democrat. And when I talked to him about things like the um, assault rifle or assault weapon ban, he's like, I don't care. I'm like, what do you mean you don't care? I, you stand for these things. You have these things. You know, so, I mean, we've got a minute left here. And what are you thinking? I, I, <laughs> a lot of folks are single-issue voters. So there's a, there's a fella... He's an older guy. In fact, I've talked about him on the show in the past. He's an old, I say old, he's late late 70s, maybe 80-ish. He's, he's a devout Democrat. He's a good, honest person. He really is. By the way, I know him from Renegade River, which was a gun shop. He bought guns from me for years. Called me up the other day. I haven't talked to him in years. You and I got to get together. I said, well, what's going on, Mark? What's the issue? He says, "I got to make fun of you because your party has comes has become as broken as our party." <laughs> he's reading the news and he's laughing at us, and he wants to sit down over a cup of coffee and and make fun, but make fun of both of us because the guy is reasonable. He's a gun owner. To your point, his hair is not over on fire all over these things, but he's very, very socially liberal. Yeah. By the way, he's a he's a uh, was a career military. He said, anybody that's actually been to war will take my position over yours, hey, talking Mike, to me. so when we I get said, back... Well, I'm a non-interventionist. When so. we get back, yeah. Pfizer, yep. COVID, economy, here we come. All right.
You're listening to The Mike Hewitt Show with Mike Hewitt, Miles Bauer, and Ludwig von Wiedendorski. And now your host, Mike Hewitt. Let's do a little bit of house, um, what they call it, housekeeping. Um, I, I got to have you all do me a favor. Go visit themikehewittshow.com. There's places all over that website for you to message me. I get the messenger directly. I would love to hear from you, hear your opinions. Tell me we're wrong or we're right. Ask questions, make suggestions. We are very, very interested in your opinion. Listen, Lud, when you took us to break, you gave a list of things we were going to talk about when we come back. Top of my list is this Pfizer. I'm, I'm reading this from ZeroHedge.com, and their headline, Directed Evolution, Pfizer R&D exec says COVID-19 created, uh, created in Wuhan is cash cow for company. And then in the article, he went on to say, you know, don't, don't tell anybody I said that and all of that kind of thing. But what's your opinion of this? Well, yeah, it's a cash cow. What made it even more of a cash cow is because, because it was, became a global pandemic and there was an emergency and all these things we didn't know. The government automatically started paying for these. It wasn't even us privately paying for them, like a flu shot where our insurance pays for it. The government stepped up and bought these in surplus, whether or not we need them or not. That was an instant influx for them. I kind of tell you something, and this is both parties. Let's be honest about this. Um, in fact, we talked about Trump in the, at the beginning of the show, um, and he recently got himself in a little bit of, of sneer with some of his base by defending the COVID shot, and he saved whatever the number was, 100,000 or some large number of people with, with the COVID vaccination. So he got boohooed across social media on that topic. Um, and, and, but when I look at government, I don't know if it's the bureaucracy, if it's the political machines that are engaged, but to your point, they're very much still selling this stuff. So Michigan, I use as an example again, but this is true in a number of states, where as we watched winter approach, uh, they were back selling not only COVID, but they're also marrying that that to the flu shot drama. And so it was get your COVID, get your flu shot seasons coming. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. And by the way, folks, just to be clear, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm not a pro-vaxxer. I, I'm not. I think those are personal choices. And I think the law ought to provide that those are personal choices. I don't, I don't with my heart issue, I don't run around and take a survey about what, what I'm going to do. I make a personal decision with it. So I look at this through that vantage. What's what's that, Led? That's good, because most people probably say you shouldn't. Listen, i got to tell you, I I look to our government and I ask, what are you all getting? What's the government getting out of advocating this stuff? And by the way, let me kind of even interrupt myself. I'm in Florida right now, folks, and I pass a state park. There's a person, it's a little bit chilly, it's probably 65, and <laughs> I had to add that in for all of our uh, rust belt listeners. But there's a person riding a bike in a Florida State Park. It's chilly, it's windy, there is nobody near this person. And this person is riding his bicycle with his mask on. I listen, it's his choice. But I think to myself, as our governments collectively scared people to the point where common sense is no longer part of the equation. Lud, what say you? I think there's definitely been a fear there. I mean, prior to COVID, 
most people I knew at least laughed at the Chinese when they'd see them wear these masks. And I remember when right. the Olympics were in Beijing and the air quality and the athletes were coming off a mask on. We were like, what are we even doing there? Why do we have to wear right. a mask? And, and now right. we're seeing it much more frequently. Now, go ahead. You want to wear a mask? Cool. No problem. It's the fact to tell me whether right. I do or don't, right? But the, here's the problem with this COVID vaccine that we're seeing now because we didn't have any testing. CDC and the FDA just came out about two weeks ago and said, if you're over 65, you better consult your doctor before you get a booster because they're finding it's causing heart, heart, heart attacks and strokes. Right. And that's a major concern because they're only looking at the 65-year-olds because there's a lot of athletes falling down and they're finding out some of this is directed towards the COVID vaccine. No question about it. But more, more this season than in any other individual season ever. Yes. That's a big statement to make. And I, I can't tie it directly to this, but I sure can't divorce it from this either. I can tell you, you mentioned in, in your comment about Wuhan, and I, I, I got to touch on this again because I mentioned my own cardi- cardiology issues. I have a cardiologist uh, that's she's Chinese, and she's just a superb person. The best, I've done this all my life, and she's the best cardiologist I've ever had. She's superb. And she was back in the early stages of masking in shots. I was in for a consultation with my heart issue, and her and I got talking about this. And by the way, I have no idea what her politics is. I have no idea. But she did offer an observation. She said, difference between here and China with masks. She said, in China, they don't wear masks necessarily because they're afraid of COVID. They wear masks because they're afraid of government. That's a big statement to make. And we've got a lot of folks here in the United States that are pointing to them going, wow, they're a perfect hybrid between between communism. They don't say these words, but it's true. A perfect hybrid between communism and capitalism. And go, no, they aren't. Their own people are afraid of them. You know, and like she said, they're more afraid of them than they are the, the, the illness. What, what's, That's incredible to me. What's, what's fun, funny slash sad is I remember the first time they made it a mandate, and I walked into Meyer and said, I have a health condition. And they questioned me, and I'm like, I have an health condition. I'm not wearing one. I realized I was the only one without it and thought, right. you know what? I'm not afraid of the government right now. I'm not afraid of Meyer. I'm afraid of the customers here because right. who's going to come attack me for not wearing one? And I went and waited in the car. Right. I went and waited in the car. I, I'm, I don't want to deal with the repercussions of all of a sudden becoming a viral video or somebody attacking me because I chose not to do it. I'm staying six feet sure, away. The can- I'm they, using they can- hand sanitizer. Cancel. The cancel culture had their eraser out on top of you. Yeah, and it, and it did. I went to the car and said, you know what? I'm going to wait because I'll wait in the car. I'm not right. wearing the mask. I'll wait in the car. And I left. Right. Uh, and you remember me telling the story of me going through a drive through window at the pharmacy uh, and the, the, the young lady inside, I'll never forget this. The young lady inside said, do you want, do you want to get a COVID shot? We've, we've actually got a surplus now because they've been out for a while. I, listen, I'm 62 with a heart issue. Uh, this was a couple of years ago, though. But I, I paused and I made an impulse decision. Yeah, I'll come in. And as I drive away from the window, I see her doing the money dance. And I went, holy smokes, what did I just see? She's not relieved she's going to save a life. She's not thinking, oh, brother, i got to go through this process. She's doing the money dance. 
And that was at a national uh, organization, a national pharmacy. Like when they uh, asked you to sign for a credit card? I, I add that to bring us back to that. In my view, this is about cash. And when I see pharmacies are, are dealing in the hundreds of billions of dollars, and I know that our government political types operate on campaign money, man, when we get to the other side of this nightmare, there's going to be a lot of books written on where this money actually is going. Mike, I don't know how much people know about Moderna, but Moderna was created to work on mRNA research, and they have never, ever had a patent approved, ever. No vaccine approved, ever. And the moment this came out, they were one of the first, you know, it's Pfizer, Moderna. And honestly, I don't even know if the Moderna vaccine's actually ever been FDA approved. I don't believe it has. The single shot Moderna for COVID, they no longer use. Well, they did the I double mean, shot, and then they tried a single. The single went absolutely bonkers bad, so they got it off the market quick. But they were a double shot, too. Johnson & Johnson was a single shot. Uh, do I have enough time to hit a different topic before we go to break? Well, we got about 30 seconds. Is that a lifetime for uh, you? We, uh, that's not enough time. But listen, when we come back from break, I want to. we've got two topics i got to get to. One of them is about classism, but immediately following that, let's get to this U.S. economy grows strongly in the fourth quarter stuff. You, you are a micro and macro economics teacher. i got to help you coach me on this. Yeah, I, I want to talk about the economy for sure because all I've been hearing about is all these numbers, and they don't make sense to me. But when we come back, we're going to hit that classism right off the bat, and then we're going to hit that economy hard, and we're going to hit it harder than they say it's coming back. We'll be back in just one sec. The Enigma Report with Mike Hewitt. Has the ideology of leftist classism driven our culture to the point where emulating our least and forsaking our best is mainstream? Scorn and ridicule the successful. How dare they work harder and earn more? But wait, tell me, how does bringing them down do anything positive for anyone else? Many years ago, I worked for a black man from the United Kingdom. He shared a powerful insight with me. He said racism and classism were two sides of the same coin, that he'd experienced both. He said that racism in America was waning, but that instead of America freeing itself from racism, it was simply trading it for classism. I believe he's correct, and I'll add this. Classism is being used as a tool to control people, to lock us in place. Check yourself. Classism is powered by envy, and success is driven by perseverance and hard work. It's an enigma to me that so many embrace the classism America fought to free itself from. Find the Mike Hewitt Show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Listen, Lud, I'm going to draw on you again because of your youth, um, I, and I mean that not even jokingly this time. When I'm 62, folks, and when I was young, when I was in elementary, junior high, middle school, and high school, that era in my life, the teachers were really, really advocating that everybody has something to offer. Everybody has something about them that makes them special. And somehow we've segued from that to something now, because I do show notes every week, folks. I've been doing them now for a decade, and I I sift through most of the media media, uh, trying to find out what things that we're going to talk about on the air. And the one thing that I find wave after wave of is the media and folks from Hollywood, et cetera, absolutely excoriating successful people. That son of a gun is rich. Well, it's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That person put themselves through school 
working full-time in an entry-level position, paying for college or creating a debt. They work 60 and 70 hours a week, and they make more money than you that does nothing. I got Lud, is, tell me what it was like. You're 41, you said, correct? Yeah. Tell me what, what, I told you what it was like when I was in school. Was that the message that they taught you in school? Yeah, I think the generation that myself and my brother that's a year younger and your daughters grew up in is different vastly than what this one is. We were right at that cusp of change where everybody got a participation trophy. We, When right. I played soccer as a youth, the best forward, the best defense player got a reward. And I do remember one year, my mom was the coach, and I had the most goals. I was the best offensive player, and she couldn't give it to me because I was the coach, and that would have been a problem. So I think it was right around that time this started. But merit awards and all those things still existed. And I coach now with the same philosophy as I grew up with. And all, you know, high tides rise all boats. And you don't play down to the bottom. You pull the bottom forward with the top. And we got to get back to that because right now, like we're seeing in Virginia and things where these kids didn't even know they got these merit awards. And that's money out of their pocket in scholarships. It is. But I got to tell you, it's, it's even beyond the money side of this for me. It's about self-worth and self-respect. Um, I, I, I've, I've, folks, I've never met anybody who was a respectful person that didn't have self-respect. And I mean that earnestly. But where self-respect comes from, in my view, is parenting, but life experience also. And so if I tell you, look at that dirty, rotten son of a gun, the reason that you're downtrodden, the reason that you're not successful because that person that is successful stole your opportunity. Well, folks, that's just not true. It's not even like kind of true. It's not a difference of opinion. It's factually not true. And and I worry in the sense that I ask myself, if we if we steal opportunity from our culture, which is really what we're talking about. So you look at the your the children your age. Uh, I'm sorry, Lud. If you look at the the folks that are your children's age and what they're being taught, forget school for a minute, but in general, with mass media, et cetera, all of the different elements that make up their life, if they're being taught that they've got no chance of, of excelling, that if you work really hard, it doesn't make any difference. You're still in the toilet because that person over there stole your opportunity. I think what kind of culture are they going to advance? How does that work? You're a teacher, so I'm I'm actually using you right now, Lud. I want you to help me understand how does this, how do you think this is going to impact our culture? Well, we can see it. I mean, let's go back to 2016. Bernie Sanders. He was legitimately, he was the nominee for the Democrat Party. With other superdelegates, yep. he won. Go back 20 years. Does Bernie Sanders even have a platform or even a leg to stand on? No. 10 years, 10 years before that, he had no chance of winning anything at all. Yeah, the word democratic in, in socialist could decade. be said in public. Um, I, I worry about the outcome of the path that we're on. Am I am I being shrill? Should I not be concerned, Blood? No, I, I definitely think there's some concern there, and it should be heightened more than just uh, watched, because we are Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. Those type of people are now getting an actual voice in a, right. in a constitutional republic that didn't exist we fought wars over this, and now we're right. now we're inviting it in, and it comes down to that everybody's equal, 
no matter how much work you get in, put in, you should get the same amount. And that is the baseline of socialism. It, it really is. And, 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 and by the way, when we talk about classism, and I know in that, in that uh, feature piece that Jared played for us, I mentioned the black fellow that I worked for years ago. Uh, listen, the guy was a super nice guy from, from the United Kingdom. If you closed your eyes, you could, it felt like you were talking to Winston Churchill. From an ideological point of view, let me inject that part. But, but he passionately believed that classism was a control tool. It was meant to keep people in the current, in their current place in society, that it was every bit as bad as racism. And he said, it's the two sides of a single coin. Both are designed to keep you in place. Uh, passionately talking about it. And listen, he was right. And that's what makes classism the, the hallmark or the foundation, the corner block of, of uh, I don't want to say the word because people say I'm being shrill, but it's what, it's what communism is built on, is to lock folks in place, to steal opportunity from them. When I see a, a person that's worked the bejeebers out of themselves and they've become successful, I want to point to my grandchildren and say, see, look at that person. That person was successful. We can do it. You can do it. That's what I see when I see a successful person. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's all a frame of mind, right? Just like the economy? I, I, I guess it is, a, it is a frame of mind. You're stealing my stuff from me, Lud. <laughs> yeah, I know, but we, we got to hit that economy, like you said. I think that's a good transition point. Ah, okay, I like it. So, listen, we're being told on a number of fronts in the media that the economy is taking a turn. Life is getting good. It's strong, it's strong, it's strong. This is uh, from Reuters.com. U.S. economy grows strongly in fourth quarter. Weekly job loss claims fall. Lud, you are the economist. What say you? Well, let's go with the fact that unemployment numbers are a fallacy, huge fallacy to them. Number one, if you're part-time or underemployed, you're considered employed. So you go off the unemployment rolls. Number two, the moment you stop looking, you go off the unemployment rolls. And number, number three, the moment you go back to school, you're off the unemployment rolls. And number four, by the time you retire, you're off the employment rolls. So people are getting early retirement. People are stopped working. People are working a part-time jobs, not careers. Therefore, your unemployment numbers are going to go down. The percentage, the real number. But the real unemployment is much greater. If you talk about fully gainfully employed in careers, is much lower. Right. It's, I'm sorry, it's much so, higher. So, so Lud, is it kind of like uh, the inflation numbers when we acknowledge going in that that does not include energy, food, housing, and health care? Yeah. And education, by the way. Those numbers are not part of the inflation numbers, which tells you that the inflation numbers themselves don't actually count the things that you use and need in your life. And that's the same with this is the point I, I'm drawing from you, is that they don't count huge swaps of people uh, because that doesn't fit their numbers. They're not being true. By the way, I'm reflecting when you were talking of an episode we did back in the uh, Obama era when the economy was sluggish, and I'm not blaming that on Obama, by the way, but we sat and looked at the numbers then, and then we literally did an episode on, on putting all of the numbers together, and it was on par. People are going to, I'm going to get nasty grams. But it was on par with the Great Depression. But the numbers that they were presenting made us look like it was just a little soft. Yeah. Well, no, it was way worse than a little soft. Yeah. I mean, so many people. True or not? To, yeah, it's so true. So many people went back to school, 
and and didn't work part worked anything. But you know, and listen, economics is a science. It is not mathematics where two plus two equals four. Economics is a science. You take the things you want to test and put them against a, a basic or a baseline, and you test them against that. You can take the numbers you want. You can finagle the numbers you want. Economics is a science. It's not fact. So you can make it look good or bad. Remember, for four years, we heard the economy was about to head in recession. So, listen, right. we're running out of time, Mike. It's been fun. I'm glad we're going to be back here so you can take the wheel here. It's fun <laughs> doing it. I know you're sweating bullets. Everybody, tune in next week. Can't wait to see you all. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Have a great week.